Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Sam Volkering instead of Nigel Farage. Nigel has not been voted out of the jungle just yet. Sam, what do you make of his various challenges and activities? Um, I, you know, I was watching on Sunday and he was, um, he was doing, was it the, the, the pizzeria challenge thing? And he had to eat a whole bunch of weird stuff on pizzas, including the, I think one was a camel, goat, and pig anus shortly followed by camel goat and pig penis on a pizza which um i felt so, so sorry for the bloke but then the, the girl who was with ate witchetty grubs on one pizza and i was like well that's actually not that bad i've eaten witchetty grubs as a kid and i'm sure you probably have too nick so i mean i think she got off pretty lightly compared to nigel when you actually look at what they had to eat. yeah it's a bit strange seeing these videos as an australian um you know we've not terribly far from from where Nigel is supposedly in what they call the jungle. Uh, I'm not sure I consider it that. But yeah, Witchetty Grubs is is a bit lame. Um, however, the news that's been happening since Nigel has been in the jungle has been pretty darn exciting. In fact, I'd love to know what Nigel would say about it. Oh, uh, but we can definitely <laughs> discuss the mad world of, world of politics ourselves. We've got the Gat Wilders in, of course, the Netherlands, Argentina's Javier Millet. We had, of course, Maloney in Argentina before that. We've got the AFD in Germany. The list goes on. It's getting really long, and these people are actually getting elected now, mm. uh, which is a pretty big shift. It seems to me that they seem to get sort of sucked into the mainstream as soon as they are elected. Uh, my question is whether that's going to occur with Gert Wilders and with Javier Millet. Yeah, you know, of, of all the times Nigel needs to be in the jungle, shut away from <laughs> any kind of news, is the one time when two of the most controversial uh, elections to have ever taken place, probably outside of Trump getting elected to America. Um, yeah, bonkers. I mean, it, it it was almost written in the stars, really. Nigel goes into the jungle, Git gets elected, and Malai um, gets elected as well. I mean, you couldn't write this stuff. Look, it's interesting, Argentina, right? So... He, um, you know, he's, his, his platform for turning the Argentinian economy around is based on the dollarization of the Argentinian economy, which kind of flies in the face of what's happening with BRIC nations that are looking to go through a process of de-dollarization. So, I mean, and, and it, you know, there's a lot of reports that he's, you know, pro-Bitcoin as well, which is, you know, for a, for a president of the second largest economy in South America, that's... That's that's pretty significant, but that that again that flies in the face of the idea of the dollarization of the Argentine economy. So it it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, you know, his his political platform is what it is, and he's there now, so you know, <laughs> they're stuck with him. Um, but those are competing ideas, really. I I think that the idea of the dollarization of Argentina Argentina of Argentina is probably a mistake. But then the alternative is the status quo, which is shocking and has got them into this position to start with. So maybe it is. Maybe he follows in the path of uh, Nayib Bukele in El Salvador and, you know, adopts a Bitcoin standard for Argentina long term. So, I mean, it's interesting. And then Geert in, in, in the Netherlands, just in the, you know, just this week. I mean, they were expecting he'd poll okay, but they didn't expect him to pulse so well 
And I think it really does. It gives you a flavor for, for Europe right now. I mean, you know, Spain looks like it's on the brink of civil war as well. Um, Italy is obviously, you know, getting to that, is at that point as well. But I think, I think once they, once they get into power, like if, if Geert can get a coalition going in the Netherlands, uh, even if he's prime minister, it'll be somewhat of a watered down version, I think, of how he got there to start with. My question to you is what happens following that? Because it seems to me that Salvini was elected on the, on the, the mandate that the euro is a crime against humanity, which implies now that he's a bit of a war criminal. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem to be held accountable for that, except for the fact that a lot of his voters then went to Maloney um, because obviously Salvini hadn't delivered on his platform. And so, so now we've got Maloney not really delivering on a platform. So what happens next? It's, it's getting a bit worried. Uh, do you know what? I don't know if there's an answer to that question, Nick. Uh, you're right. They, they, they get into power on these popularist ideas and it gets in the votes and there's a lot of promise. But at the end of the day, you know, these are still politicians that then want to stay in power. And so they, you know, it's, it's hard to deliver on these big promises that they're making because you're, you're turning around a pretty slow moving, uh, not particularly nimble tanker. Um, and that, that doesn't happen in a short space of time. And, and I just, I think what you end up with is that, uh, they, they promise they under deliver and then things probably return to the status quo in the next cycle. Yeah, that, that is the most likely outcome. It's worth mentioning, of course, that Nexit is the obvious choice for the next exit from the EU. So uh, there's a bit of irony there. It is, Let's but I don't, I don't think the Dutch, I don't think the Dutch will have that, to be honest with you. I think it'll get talked about, but if it, I don't think it'll ever even go to a referendum. I just don't think there's the appetite for it with the Dutch people. Yeah, there seem to be a few steps back from where the UK was. You know, Gervilders is supposedly anti-EU and anti-Euro, but he only got 20-something percent of the vote, which is, in the end, not a huge amount. Um, the question is whether the people who are demanding exemptions from certain EU rules and laws in order to pursue domestic policies that they want decide that those domestic policies are more important than membership of the places of the EU. And whether other countries then see, you know, some countries getting cut out from certain provisions like the UK used to be in. And it all sort of falls apart piece by piece. But let's move on to the autumn statement. The big news in the UK uh, politics again, but obviously very important for investors because it's all about taxes. My question to you is whether the Chancellor raised taxes or cut taxes because I cannot for the life of me figure it out. I've had uh, all sorts of headlines come across my screen Ever since the the autumn statement, some say taxes are going up, some say taxes are going down. Faithfully, kind of agree on that tells you about the nature of the statement. Which of the two is it? I I like the timing of this autumn statement because it's it's during the Black Friday week sales, right? And you know how like when you jump onto Amazon or you go to the shops and you see all these like fifty percent off Black Friday sales, but all they've really done is they've just pushed the price up beforehand, drawn a big red line through it, and then say, hey, look, we discounted it. And that's that's exactly that's exactly what they've done here. Is they've pushed the tax rate up, and then just gone. Oh look, autumn statement, Black Friday sales, drawn a big line through, and gone. Yay, sale for everyone. Um, and and yeah, the, like when they say, oh, we've 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 halved inflation. Like there, yeah, they've halved inflation from like twenty percent, and it's still five times higher than their target rate. 
I mean, it's it's it is laughable. You can't help but laugh when they they pat themselves on the back and they hoop and holler in Parliament. I watched I watched a lot of it uh, this week when they when they 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 were in Parliament and the opposition as well, and they were booing and it's the it's it's a comedy show. It really is, and um, you know, the cost of living isn't coming down. Inflation's still too high. The the bank rate's still probably going to go up. You know, a good a good flavour for for what the market expects um, is during this during the the the, the autumn statement in Parliament. Um, JD Fashion, so you know JD, yeah, the the retailer uh, uh, company was up like four percent as as this autumn statement was rolling out. The company was up four percent because they know that you know okay maybe the, there's a bit of a cut in the national insurance rate. That money's going one direction, one direction only, and that's straight back into the economy and that maybe spurs a little bit of growth but that also pumps inflation pretty hard as well so you know inflation's not going anywhere rates are staying high the tax rate itself it's it's all for show but but realistically still still in a much higher tax rate environment so it is what it is it's a bit bizarre because it's sort of gaslighting the the people who are supposed to be voting for you, right? To say to them, oh, we're cutting taxes here, we're cutting taxes. The economy is great, unemployment's low. Meanwhile, the lived experience of, of people is obviously very different. Um, we've got headlines from Telegraph. Retirees will be paying income tax on the state pension within five years if the story deep, if the Tory deep freeze on tax thresholds continue. Uh, millions of people will be on the higher marginal rate, 40%. What I find interesting about the 40% rate is that if you got a pay rise to match inflation, you're still well behind the inflation rate as a result of that incredibly high tax rate. So you, the pay rise you need in order to actually break even on inflation is, of course, absolutely massive. So surely this is not a vote winner, given the fact that people will know they're being gaslit. You know, they, they, they know how much they combine, how much they're taking home, and how much their marginal tax rate is. So why are they doing it? Uh, it's a it's a vote grabbing exercise. I don't think there's anything anything else apart from that. Really, it's like they're trying to impress their journalist friends when they know it's not going to go anywhere with the with the actual voters. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this content, you can get it every single day. Just click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com. Get a daily email from our team of experts. Thank you. I want to ask you about something that I've been covering in detail on Fortune and Freedom, um, and we'll continue to do. And it's the question of whether or not the inflation that we experienced was a deliberate policy or not. Right now, it seems to be that uh, central bankers and governments have been getting accused of, I guess, incompetence at worst. Um, the inflation came out of nowhere, that sort of thing. But I suspect that actually the inflation was a deliberate policy attempt to try and pay off the debt. So where do you stand on that sort of spectrum of um, they knew what they were doing versus um, it came out of nowhere? It's a tricky one. You you can't help but think that they knew what they were doing, but at the same time, it, it, you get the feeling that they they genuinely believed that that inflation wasn't going to be a problem. And I find that pretty hard to reconcile because it was pretty obvious that that was going to be a problem. So then you have to come back to they actually knew what they were doing and they were trying to inflate away their debt, and and arguably still are. Um, so it's it's a tricky one because at the end of the day, when you when you marry up what's happening and the inflation rate, the knowledge of how that works and 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 what they've they've actively done to the economy to to keep that alive, which is is what's happening, then you have to think they know exactly what they're doing. So they're just basically lying to people about 
about the impact of of their policy. So, yeah, they if they and if they don't know what they're doing, they shouldn't be in office. Let's move on to a story from Australia. Um, this comes, of course, after Nigel's big debanking story over the last few months. The Australian version is a, a little bit odd. Um, it's it. It's a particular type of hypocrisy from uh, one of the big, big four banks in Australia. It's two different stories happening at the same time. The first story is that ANZ is demanding that its staff come to the office. I think it's 50% of the time, so 50% in days. Otherwise, they could face consequences. That inference was that they might actually get paid cuts if they don't show up. But at the same time, a whistleblower has come out claiming that ANZ directed its customers to ATM machines and said that it had services that were not available because of some sort of downtime, falsely saying so, in order to push people to online banking and doing things from home, uh, not having to go to the branch. And the idea of this was to justify the closure of branches all across Australia, which is a big political issue in Australia. And I just find it incredibly ironic and, and just extraordinary amount of hypocrisy to demand that your staff come in to work more while you also try and trick and demand your customers don't come to the office. Uh, and that seems to me this is just another example of, of sort of the big banking world just just behaving so immorally. Yeah, I mean, they they need to figure out how to, how to squeeze margins out of the financial products that they offer to more people. So they, and, and at the same time, they know the productivity has dropped off a cliff with people working from home as well. So it's kind of a catch-22 for them is, is that they have to bring people into the office so that they can justify how much they pay them and so that they actually do work um, and, and end up being productive. But then at the same time, they don't want people at branches. They want everybody on online. You know, there's a reason that they were trialing and pushing out, you know, central bank digital currencies um, this is this is their sort of long term agenda to to keep their margins at a level that they can keep returning profits to shareholders at the end of the day. Really, yeah, it seems like um, they're being forced into this by the extremely competitive nature of the mortgage market. Um, I want to finish with some questions about artificial intelligence, which is something you've been focusing on a lot. The first thing I want to ask about though is the fact that the AI stocks, as they've become known, especially in the S&P 500, are responsible for almost all of the capital gains in 2023. This is one of the reasons why the US stock market has left most of the rest of the world behind this year. It's because the AI stocks are centered in the US and on the, on the um, US market, and they're including the S&P 500 because they're so big. Do you think that can continue that trend? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we are absolutely going to see AI driving the market continuously. Uh, NVIDIA earnings in the last week were off the chart. They blew the roof off in terms of earnings. And that was all driven by AI and demand for AI, uh, their AI chips. You know, Elon Musk was on a podcast recently saying that the AI for uh, X.com's Grok was trained on 8,000 A100 NVIDIA chips. Uh, they're going for about 10 grand a pop. He said they're going to double compute every month or couple of months for the foreseeable future. So if Elon's going to be spending, you know, upwards towards, you know, half a billion or a billion dollars on training his AI, and that's just what he's doing, then you add in what Microsoft is doing, when you add in what Google is doing, most of those are drawing chips from companies like 
uh, NVIDIA or AMD if they can't get them from uh, NVIDIA or Intel if they can't do that. Apple's developing their own AI chips. Um, AI is absolutely driving all these companies, Meta as well. Uh, that is not changing in a hurry. I think there were forecasts that the you know AI hardware market was set to double next year and then another 85% off the top of that on the year after. I mean, if you're not switched on to to looking at AI investments or at least using AI in the way that you invest, um, you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to switch on to what's happening in the market. And that's, that's exactly why we're putting out some brand new, um, uh, content. We've got a big event actually coming up for, for readers in, I think it's yeah in the next week, uh, there'll be more, loads more info about that. I think, um, uh, below this video today. Because I've been researching AI for a decade now, um, and what I've seen happen, particularly in the last year, is a decade's worth of activity. I mean, to be fair, AI has been developed for the last you know, 50, 60 years, but particularly over the last 10 years, where the way I've seen the market develop and what's coming together in the combination, and combination, I guess, of, of AI and, and human ingenuity is really exciting. And, and we've now got those tools at our fingertips that we can help investors to make better decisions in the market bringing together ai and what we do so it's it's exciting stuff and 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 if you if you're not switched on to what's happening with ai i mean you you need to be and and that's why we're putting this special event out there's two different issues going on here that i don't want to conflate the first is something that you've already captured which is especially this hardware aspect to uh, ai the fact that it needs extraordinary mass computer power and we're sort of on that exponential part of the curve in terms of the hardware needed in order to make AI function well. Uh, and that's the investment trend that's been playing out quite well. And like I said, I know you've captured that really well. The other part is the part that you're focusing on now, um, which has me a lot more intrigued, which is the idea that investors can use AI in their investment decisions and in their, in their analysis of, of investment markets and their analysis of information and things like that. This this is a whole new yeah it is because you know the the realms of having AI fingertips to actually use for your investments uh, was you know it was the it was the rough hedge funds for the last twenty years and they've been throwing you know tens of millions of dollars at AI to improve how they operate. Only recently have individuals like you and me and the people that are watching now had access to these kinds of tools to help them you know process huge amounts of data from the market and use AI, uh, an AI engine effectively to help them with their investment and trading decisions. Um, it's still not something that you can you know, you know, flick onto your smartphone and bang, you've got your AI making decisions for you. But when you are plugged into the right tools, which we now have access to at Southbank, uh, you can utilize AI to be a better investor. And that's, that's really what's exciting about what we're doing at the moment. Uh, and what's what's come out with our with our big event is that we are bringing together this AI engine and the AI tools to help us make better investment and trading decisions, and and that's what we're going to be talking to people about next week. Yes, yeah, so it's not that investment trend; it's, it's this reopening of a new tool. It reminds me actually of um, Baron Rothschild's innovation of using pigeons to communicate who had won the Battle of Waterloo and then trading the bond market on that. You know, everyone else is waiting for the messengers to write and come across the channel. And Rothschild knew what was going to happen based on his pigeon mail. And there's a couple of other examples like that throughout history where someone discovers a new way to analyze financial markets. A new technology allows 
financial markets. I mean, Pigeon's probably old technology, but there's a, a new technology that allows people to analyze financial markets in a new way that gives them an advantage. And, and that's the angle you're going to take for this event next week. Uh, if you are interested, everyone at home, to find out more about this, you can sign up now to get more information about it. There should be a link below the, the video, as, uh, as Sam said. It'll introduce the, the general idea of what we're talking about here uh, so that you can get warmed up and uh, get excited about exactly what Sam is going to reveal next week. Sam, last word to you. How confident are you that this? Is- I'm very confident. I've been I've been working and developing uh, this for the last the last few months, and um, so far we've you know the back testing has been exceptional, and uh, everything indicates that this is going to be probably. I mean, it's easily the most exciting thing I've ever done with Southbank because, as I say, it's bringing together an AI engine with uh, you know my thematic approach to to the markets and big trends and. And uh, we're going to be releasing something pretty important, something pretty special. From the man who brought us cryptocurrencies, that's quite a claim. It's actually a claim that our investment director, John Butler, has also said. says this is the most exciting thing that, uh, that you've brought to South Bank. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sure everyone at home is. So check out the link below the video. Sam, thanks very much Thank for coming you. on to replace Nigel in, in such a tumultuous political week. Um, and to everyone at home, thanks for watching. Well, thank you for watching, and I hope you agree it's never been more important to take control of your own money, your own financial situation. We do a daily free email, a fortune and freedom daily email with lots of knowledge, lots of insight. It's a very useful way of protecting yourself for the future. So please click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com and get my daily email.